this man shall be blessed in his deed. He says, it's like looking into a mirror and beholding your face in a glass. Uh, this is the power of God's word. This is the power of the seed of God's word that Luke says is the word of God. This is the power of God's word as the parable in Matthew 13 that led, uh, that began this conversation and we've been building on that conversation uh, concerning the seeds of the sower ever since. And so this is the power of God's word as the seed is laid into the hearts of men and it brings forth 30, 60, 100 fold. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 21, we find ourselves with another opportunity to, to, to see God's word and to, and to rightly divide it in such a way where we can come away with the wheel of the sower of the seed. And so we, we, we look in Genesis chapter 21 and, 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 and we find ourselves, if you will, in that conversation that we began last time that, that we understand that the importance of God's word is that it carries from one generation to the next. It can't, it can't stay in, in you by itself. It, it must be moved on to the next generation. Somebody has got to carry it into the next generation. The word of God must be planted. The seed of God's word must be planted uh, in the hearts and the minds of the, of the generation that is to come because we, we, we're not going to be here always. I know Abraham was stricken in age, and the Bible says he became a, 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 a good old age. But see, Sarah passed away. In other words, you get to the point where time passes and people pass away. Abraham will one day pass away. Amen. Uh, and so the word of God needs to be planted in that next generation. And I'm so thankful that although we are limited in our earthly capacity, because we are in this form, in a temporal body, we, this body goes back to the dust of the earth from which it came, as Solomon said. But the spirit goes back to God who gave it. In other words, there are some important things about eternal life that life which is everlasting to everlasting. And, and when you understand that, then you know that, that, that there's one thing about humanity is that man, humanity has come here to lead. Not we haven't come here to stay. We've come here to lead. And one day we're all going to leave here in some form or another. But we're going to leave here and, 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 and there's going to be something that needs to be left behind. And that which, is, which needs to be left behind is that which is eternal. Because see, it doesn't matter what generation comes or what generation goes. God's word is forever. So it's, it, it must be left with the next generation. And so Abraham, if you will, is, is, is in Genesis 21, is, is uh, beginning to see the the manifestation of God's promise. Because he's old in age, but yet God has already given Sarah the seed to conceive. And she bare Abraham a son. And the Bible says in his old age, and uh, as God had spoken that he would do. And then he, uh, the, the son's name was Isaac. And uh, remember, God said in thy seed, uh, Isaac shall all the world uh, be blessed. And so Isaac was born from something that was uh, uh, barren, something that God, if you will, in his will, uh, allowed not to bear. But yet when God uh, opened up the womb, it was able to conceive a seed and bring forth uh, the child Isaac. And uh, even verse number 
uh, 7 helps us to understand the significance of that because it says, and she said, that is Sarah, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given uh, children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age. They, 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 they were amazed at the power of God, that God's promise would be fulfilled. And, and I think it's important that we, we at least pause for a moment here to understand uh, that this, this helps us to appreciate even more of the writings of Peter when Peter says to us that, you know, uh, uh, that God in, in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, where God is not slack concerning his promises and some men count slackness, wishing none to perish, but that all should come unto repentance. God, God, God is, uh, 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 that's uh, Acts 17 and 30. Uh, uh, and, and then in, in, uh, as we look at um, uh, uh, the, the 2 Peter 3 and 9, when he says one day with God is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And he says that wishing none that would, would perish, but that all should come unto repentance. He said he's not slack concerning his promises in that. Right. Because God has commanded every man everywhere to repent. And in Acts 17 and 30 helps us to understand that. But, but, but when you look at the second Peter 3, 8, 9, he says, God, that is God is not slack in his promises concerning those things. Wishing none to perish, but that all should come unto repentance. It is a promise of God that we be saved. And God is going to fulfill his promises. And so when we see Abraham and, uh, and Sarah, even though they're in their old age, we find God fulfilling his promises. And I just stopped by to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how old you get, God can still do his thing. God can still fulfill his promises. And I know that there's some say, you know what, I done lived my life and I done got old and I done done what I've done and whatever I've done, that's what I'm going to do. Let me tell you something. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you haven't done enough. It's time for you to do what God has asked you to do and commanded us to do, and that is to be saved. Because it doesn't matter how old you've gotten, it doesn't matter how old, what, what you've done in the past, what, what matters is what you do today when it comes to your relationship with God. So I just want to spend some time there because I want to make we, sure we emphasize, if you, if you will, the promises uh, of, the, of the covenant, uh, that God is still fulfilling his promises. He hasn't stopped fulfilling his promises, and God will continue to fulfill his promises until the end of time. And that is when time is due, when God sends his son back to, uh, to uh, take the church home to glory. So as we drop down in Genesis 21 and we, we pick up where, where uh, uh, verse number 8, where the Bible says, and the child grew, and the child grew, the child matured, the child matured. Now, this is the child of promise, the child matured. Now, there's something very important here grammatically that we need to pick up on. Because in this text, it's what's called an allegory, and don't get caught up with the word. I'll share it with you. I'll show you how that comes together as we go to Gen as we go to Galatians. But let me let me let, just just pause here and listen for a second. This is the seed of promise. This is the seed of freedom. This is God saying, "In this son, in this seed, all the world will be blessed." And the child grew. And the child grew. 
I want you to understand something. I want you to understand it very clearly here because this is, this is, this is very important. When it comes to God's promises, there's no slackness in his fulfilling of it. When God says he's going to save the church, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend some time right here. Because we've gotten our mind around the fact that when we see a whole lot of people and a bunch of people over in a certain place, we think that's growth. <laughs> that ain't growth. That's just a lot of folk gathering in the place. The growth that God was speaking about was the maturity of the faith of the people that are following after him. And the child grew. Somebody is going to continue to obey the gospel. And every time that soul obeys the gospel, the church is growing. And no matter how many numerically it ends up being, that seed will have grown over the time until God takes it home. That's a fact. The church will mature. More people will obey the gospel. Jesus made it very clear. It's not the many that you see. It's about the few that find it. When he says straight is the gate, narrow is the way that enter into everlasting life. And there'll be a few that find it. It ain't about how many folk find it. It's about those who did it's about those who did. And that's where the power of this text really helps us. Because the child grew. The church is the planting of the Lord's seed. The Lord planted the church. As we look at Matthew 16 and 18, and it tells us about uh, that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That tells you that the church is going to mature. It's going to grow. People are going to be saved. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. The church is going to grow. Because the people are going, there are people who are seeking God, who are going to obey the gospel, and, and, and by obedience to the gospel, the child will be growing. And the child grew. And I said this is an allegory. Stay with me. Sometimes we look at the text and we, as we study it, and glean from it God's will, we need to make sure that we understand the, the imagery that is being put forward. Because, see, we read here, and we look principally, we look at, we look at Isaac, and, 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 and we see uh, uh, a, 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 a human being in the form of flesh, and, and we limit our thoughts to, okay, what is Isaac doing, and, and why is it so important about Isaac? But, 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 but in that, we miss the bigger picture which God is uh, communicating through, to us through these stories, this, this allegory, this story concerning uh, Isaac and, and, and concerning uh, uh, Sarah, concerning the, uh, 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 the bondwoman Hagar, concerning Abraham. We see these characters and, and we limit our thoughts to the events and the, and the acts of 
of these individual characters. And in that, we become blinded by the bigger story. And the biggest story is the allegory. The biggest story is what is God helping us to see in these small images in the form of these individuals? What bigger thought is God presenting to us that we may understand the, the, the power of what it is God wants us to understand? The allegory is about God showing us your flesh can bring forth things like Hagar brought forth Ishmael. Your flesh can bring forth things like Hagar brought forth Ishmael. But God is not about your flesh bringing forth things. He's about fulfilling his promises. Sarah wanted to help the Lord because she believed he took too long. Her age was creeping upon her. Abraham's age was creeping upon him. And she felt that by giving Hagar to Abraham and through that bringing forth Ishmael, she was going to help out God's plan. Let me tell you something. When it comes to God's plan, he don't need no help. What he needs is obedience. Isaac becomes a fulfillment that shows us that in God's promises, he doesn't need us to help him out. He needs us to obey. He needs us to obey. The allegory here is the allegory between sin and righteousness. The allegory here is about the flesh and the spirit. Here we see this being played out in the forms of individuals, but the bigger picture is, a, is, is about, about spiritual matters. It's about, it's about things that are based on eternity. It's not limited to the idea of just these individuals. I'll show you that in Galatians, but, but right now I want you to understand God's unfolding a story about a never-ending war until Jesus comes back and takes us home to glory. There will always be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. He says, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah, said, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. The world will always mock those who strive to do that which is right. I just want to drop that off there. And see, when you know that, you don't mind. You don't mind. When people in the world talk about you and you strive to live a Christian life, that, that's, that should be a good thing. Don't get depressed. Start rejoicing. <laughs> I must be doing something right. When the world talking about me, amen, I must be doing something right. When I'm striving to live a Christian life. But he goes on, he says, in verse number 10, wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, 
For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir. Shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Now, initially, you may come away from that and you may say, well, this is horrible that, 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 that Sarah, if you will, would want uh, 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 Hagar and her son Ishmael to be cast out and, 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 and be left without, if you will, to be left desolate and, and, and without help and all these other things. Immediately, we will come to that emotional response to this. And, 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 and that's understandable. We're human beings, amen. I pray that you have a conscience, Lord have mercy. And you would, you would, you would come away with that. But when it comes to the spiritual matters we have to look beyond these events and see God working because God for those of you who may not have read the story in its entirety God didn't leave Hagar out there to die in the desert he didn't leave Ishmael out there to die in the desert as a matter of fact Ishmael got all that he needed and so did Hagar God took care of them in the form of the physical human beings that they were so, so don't get too depressed by that. But look at the story that is unfolding. The bigger picture, the allegory. Sarah recognizes, I tried to do something from the flesh to help the Lord. When I should have stayed trusting in what God had said he was going to do. And in that, I see a war going on. I see the mocking of the world. Hagar and Ishmael, that's what they represent. Mocking the spiritual and the righteous, which is Isaac. Which is Isaac. And so that which is of the world, if you will, needed to be cast out so that which is of the spirit can thrive. Lord have mercy, I this is such a powerful lesson because this not only impacts, it should not only impact us individually, it impacts us collectively. Because individually, if I'm going to be righteous before God, I got to throw the world out. Amen. Amen. You, you got to throw the world out if you're going to be righteous before God. In 1 John 2.15, when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for the, all that is in the world is the lust of the eye and the pride of life. You got to throw the world out that you may be the spiritual person that God desires you to be. You have to do what Paul said to the, Corinth, the Corinthian church. He says to the Corinthians, separate, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. This is a spiritual separation. This is a spiritual separation because every time you go to work, you're going to be right there next to them. Some of them in your cubicle and they're not even supposed to be in your cubicle these days. And they're still in your cubicle. Got the big glass in front of you. And they're still leaning around the glass talking. Don't you see this glass up here? No, I'm just but you got the world wanting to draw you back in. But you got to cast it out if you're going to put forth the spiritual things that God wants you to put forward. So we find this allegory. We find the real, the, the, the secondary principle that God is putting forward couched in a story with the primary principles being Isaac 
Hagar, Ishmael, Abraham, and Sarah. Let me show you that this is the fact. Go to Galatians chapter 4. So I have to take you there so that we can go here and understand the blessing of the people of faith that Abraham uh, put forward. In the New Testament text, now, I, I know that you, some of you, many of you, are familiar with, you know, uh, the Old Testament is the faith of God concealed. And the New Testament is the faith of God revealed. I mean, we, we throw out these wonderful phrases and terms, and you really can't find them in the Bible anywhere, and you try to figure out what is people saying. In Galatians chapter 4, however, we see the unfolding of this idea. We see the unfolding of this allegory. And that's why, and that's why I'm, I'm more, uh, if you will, partial to the phrase, speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Amen. Right? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual words. And, and, and some of you say, well, why brother come up and use an allegory? You know, these grammatical, te- these grammatical phrases. And, and, you know, what do these things really mean? But let me tell you something. When, when, when we use terms, we use terms that the Bible supports us using. So people can get the understanding of the stories. In Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse number 1. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse number 1, you see in this PowerPoint slide, we, we uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the previous slide talked about uh, the next generation and the generations to come. Uh, and I opened up with that in my, uh, uh, in my introduction. Um, I'm going to get to Eli and his sons in a minute. But, but I want you to see that the, the unfolding of God's uh, uh, promise and his, 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 his uh, bringing forward of Isaac and uh, allowing the seed of his word to... Uh, be manifested even uh, in the times of old age and understanding that the, that, that the times of, uh, of life will change, but, but, but God's word never changes it is an important discussion when it comes to uh, the generation. It doesn't matter what generation you're in because it becomes an important discussion when, it, when, when each generation, if you will, has to be obedient to God's word. It's important that each generation take the opportunity to understand that it's up to you whether or not God's word is going to be held on to in your generation and moved on to the next one. We'll get to Eli and his sons in a minute. But that's what we ended with. We talked about the, the examples of the next generation. In Galatians 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Paul writes to the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia, or churches of Galatia. He says, look, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, and is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bond, we were uh, aware, uh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage. Amen. Bondwoman. In bondage. Under the elements of the world. Amen. Don't run from it now. I done built up the, I done built the house. Just, just start painting it. It's going to be all right. We were in the world. We were of the world. We were in bondage. The bondwoman represented the flesh, represented the world. 
represented the desires of the flesh, and we were in bondage to it. Verse number four. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of, the, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of, uh, of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Aramaic word Abba means Father. So this could really literally be read, Father, Father. Wherefore thou art no more servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then when ye were, when ye, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Lord have mercy. We're talking about folk in the world. Being consumed by the things of the world. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 would say we were children of disobedience and we followed after the principalities and the powers of the air. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, 1 through 2. We would see that there. And then he says, he goes on, he says, look, verse number 9 in Galatians 4, 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather, are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye were desire, ye desire again to be in bondage. I said earlier, if you're going to become that which God wants you to be, you got to cast the world out. You got to cast it out. Otherwise, you're going to remain in bondage. The flesh has to be let go. You have to, you have to recognize that the spirit needs to become the decision maker of the behavior of the flesh. Otherwise, the flesh is going to do what the flesh does. And the flesh loves the world. Verse number 10. He goes on and says, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you by uh, uh, be as, uh, as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you. At the first, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, a messenger of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if I had been, if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your eyes and have given them to me, and I therefore become, am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. The, 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 the struggle between good and evil, the struggle between righteousness and unrighteousness, the struggle between godliness and ungodliness is, a, is, a, is an allegory that deals with the issue of how the flesh and the spirit and, 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 and how uh, sin and, 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 and salvation and righteousness all conflict with itself every day. But Paul says the gospel in Christ Jesus is still that which frees us from the bondage of sin. 
It is still the gospel. It will always be the gospel. But you have to make a choice. Notice something here. And I want you to see this. This is very powerful. I'm going to make this segue. We're still in the same text. But look at what happens here. God doesn't tell Sarah to cast Hagar out. That's not what God, God doesn't say. Sarah makes that individual choice because of the tension that was going on. Couldn't have the world and you couldn't have the, the, the spirit in the same place at the same time. It brings tension. Somebody's got to go. Something's got to give. And so Sarah makes this decision to cast Hagar out. And let me tell you something. You have to make the decision to come out of the world. Somebody, some, some, I know in some religious systems and, 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 and the denominational systems, I don't know what they preach and why they preach it or what they're preaching from. It's not according to God's word. But some, some, some of these denominational systems, they believe the Holy Spirit is going to come fall on you and make you come out of the world. God ain't going to make you do anything. You have to choose whether or not you want to be saved. You have to choose whether or not you want to be saved. Sarah had to make that choice. And, 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 and then when Sarah made that choice, and it, 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 uh, uh, Abraham, you got to understand something. Abraham didn't make the decision to have Sarah give Hagar to him. Abraham went along with the decision. He didn't make the decision. When, when, when Sarah saw that her decision became, if you will, uh, uh, a, a tension on the household and a problem in the household of faith, remember, this was Abraham's house, the household of faith, that used a fleshly desire to try to manifest God's promise. You can't use the flesh to manifest God's promise. You've got to use the word. To manifest God's promise. Got to use the word. You, you, you can't start choosing how you want to worship and where you want to worship and, and what you're going to do in worship and say God is going to bless. That ain't how it works. You can't use the flesh to please the Lord. The only way you can please God is with obedience to his word. You got to cast the world out. You've got to cast the world out. And, 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 and getting back to this text, because I, I don't want to run too long here. And he says, look, he says, look, back in Galatians 4. So he goes on and says, look. Verse number 16. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Verse number 17. They zealously affect you. The world is going to zealously affect you. And, 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 and through that, they're, they're going to, they're going to, but it's not well. It's not good how the world tries to push you to do things and to become things that God does not desire you to be. You came out of the world. Why are you going to let the world influence you? You, you came out of that. The zealousness of their affection is not good. Verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected affected always in a good thing in a good thing and let me tell you something when it's time to obey the gospel that's always a good thing 
That's always a good thing. And, and, and I know because, see, when the word of God is preached, and, and, and look, from the pulpit to the pew, I have to read these sermons before I can preach them. And so I'm, affect, I'm affected before y'all get affected. Matter of fact, I get two doses. I get the doses in preparation, and I get the dose when I'm preaching it. Amen. You get the one dose when it gets preached, and hopefully when you go home and study it, you get your second dose. Amen. Because see, you have to become affected by God's word. If God's word doesn't affect you, the Bible says your heart has become seared like a hot iron has seared and cauterized the flesh. And you then touch it after that hot iron has cauterized that flesh. It has no more sensitivity. So if you feeling affected right now, guess what? That's a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. Don't, 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 don't fight. The, look, you talk about don't fight the feeling when y'all out there stepping in the name of love. Don't fight the feeling when the word of God is free. Don't, don't fight the feeling. Because it's affecting your consciousness. And that's what the word of God is supposed to do. Because it's affecting you to do that which is right. And that's a good thing. And the good seed is looking for a good thing. And all of us are the good seed. And as I said before in my first few sermons as we started this this whole theme of discussion about the seeds of the sower we all are good seeds every one of us come here as a good seed every one of us come here as a good seed from the womb we are good seed the world affects that seed and that's how that seed becomes corrupted because of the influences of the world but you don't come here wicked you don't come here evil You're a good seed. The world is what affects us and causes us to do what we do. Amen. But we are a good seed. And the word of God is his good seed that can affect us in a good way. That we may return back to what we were when we were born. You remember when Jesus says something to the, to the, to the people he was in, it's in, the, in the Gospels? He's sitting in the marketplace, and, 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 and he's sitting, and he's, 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 he's in the position of what we would call laleo. He's in a position where he's teaching, and, 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 and there are disciples around him, and, and children are running around him, and, 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 they're, and, and they're trying to shoo away the children. And, and the Lord said, oh, leave them children alone. Leave the children alone. For the blessing is, is that there should be that type of innocence in heaven, right? The children are innocent. That's the, that the blessed are the children. Don't, don't mess with the children. Leave the children alone. Let them grow in their innocence. Because such is what God desires of every soul that enters into heaven. The same innocence as if you were a child. So when people say, oh, I was born in sin. You weren't born in sin. You were a good seed. The world's influences have caused you to become corrupted in the way that you are. But thank God it's not permanent. Because you can change. God has given us a free will to change and to return back to being that, that those, be like those children. Amen.
in our innocency, in our purity. Amen. Blessed are the children, for such is the, the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, let me, let me, let me tell you how powerful that is. Because, because Jesus even went on further. He said, look, it would be better for you to place a millstone around your neck and to cast yourself into the ocean than to mess with one of God's children. Let me tell you something. I tell you, you know, this is, this is a blessing. Because, see, you know, when you're striving to be God's children, his sons and his daughters, and I'm gonna remember, when I talk about this, this is a spiritual conversation. It's not about how old you've become physically. Amen. It's really not about that. It's about where you are spiritually. Well, how, how much have you matured spiritually? Let me tell you something. The world is not your home. You're just passing through here. And as a Christian, when you strive to live, if you will, the Christian life, remember, you are behind enemy lines in the world. And the world is going to treat you with all kinds of disdain. It's not going to be receptive of who you are. They killed Jesus. The Bible says in Acts 17 that they, they hated him without a cause. And they killed him. But yet it was God's plan that he should fulfill the plan of salvation so that we can be saved. Back in Galatians 4, verse number 18, but it is, a, it is good to be zealous, a, a zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you, this is Paul saying, look, you have to get to the point where, let me, let me tell you something, when, when, I am in, when I'm absent from you, remember in this day and age, this is the time where the apostles were alive. The word of God was being revealed constantly. They were preaching and teaching God's word real time, right? We're reading it after the fact. It's been written now. And now we can read it and we can, we can look back in time and, and we can look through the stories and we can rightly divide God's word and see what Paul is talking about, what Peter is, is speaking about, see what Jesus means about certain things. We have the luxury of looking back in time. They are living in real time. So when the word of God is being preached or written in these epistles, events have occurred. Things are going on. The challenges of life are real. They are in their face. And so Paul is letting them know. He says, look, when, when I leave you, when I'm not among you, when the word of God is not readily, if you will, being spoken to you, you've got to grow and mature to the point where you don't need me to be around you because the word is in you. You got to get to that point. You got to get to the point where the word of God is in you. You know, you, you don't have to call the preacher for everything. Now, I don't mind talking to you, but I'm just saying you don't have to call the preacher for everything. Because the word of God should be in you. It should be in you. you it, it, should be, it should be driving your life and your motivations. It should be growing and maturing. As Ephesians 2 says, it should be shaping and molding your spirit. Right? That's what it should be doing because it's leading you. It's leading you into a life, a life of obedience, right? It's leading you to a life of obedience and sacrifice, right? We sacrifice a lot. Christians sacrifice a lot of things. We, 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 we don't do things that we used to do because we have chosen to do what? To sacrifice for the Lord. As Romans 12 says, you know, Romans 12, 1, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? 
by the renewing of your mind. For what purpose? That ye may present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's a good thing to be affected by God's word. It's a good thing. Because if you're not being affected by God's word, that's a tragedy. Because if God's word can't affect you, in order for you to move toward the, 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 the plan and through the plan of salvation toward heaven's glory, if God's word is not affecting you, that means your conscience has become seared. Your conscience has become seared. And if your conscience has become seared where God's word no longer affects you, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. What, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Verse number 19. My little children, Paul writes, of whom I travail in birth again. Amen. He said, in whom I travail in birth again. Right? You know, I, 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 in the earlier part of this epistle, chapters 1 through 3, you'll get the meaning of that because Paul says, you know, what happened? Who has, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the faith, now you're going back into the world or back to the law? Then what happened? So Paul says, now I travail again in birth. Amen. In other words, now I have to go through a laboring process again to bring you back to the faith. And the wonderful blessing about that is, thank God that they are still reachable. Amen. To be able to come back to the faith. People fall. Sin comes into the people's lives. Amen. Amen. But, But the word of God can still reach you as long as you can still be affected by it. As long as you're willing to be affected by it, it can still reach you. When you stop letting the word of God affect you, then there's a problem. You're no longer reachable. But he says, shall I travail again in birth, struggle again to bring you back to the Lord until Christ be formed in you? Until Christ be formed in you. He goes on and says, verse number 20. I desire to be present with you now and and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. I'm I'm confused after all this labor, after all this work of God's word, after all the the preaching and the teaching of the gospel, after all of this, Paul says, how did you go back into the world? How did you get back out? How did you get back out there? What happened? Who has bewitched you? Who has beguiled you? Let me tell you something. The world is a powerful drug. Amen. Y'all might as well go and say amen. It's still true. If you don't say amen, it's still true. It's a powerful drug. Right? That's what the body feeds on. And and just like anything that that you have a a special uh, proclivity toward, it can be all-consuming. Amen. Yeah, I don't mind talking about it because I, I talk about it all the time. You know, they, they, when, 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 they, there are certain things when, when uh, I was growing up uh, that I was exposed to that, that became part of, 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 of my, now my, my physical, fleshly illnesses that I have. Amen. And, you know, I talk about, you know, I, I was a kid that I, I liked Cracker Jack. Some of y'all say, bro, I don't even know what Cracker Jack is. You're too young to know what Cracker Jack is. Some of you. But 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 Cracker Jacks was popcorn coated with candy. 
and you had peanuts in it. Lord, I love, I love me some peanuts, especially some candy-coated peanuts. And so, you know, so, so I'm just sharing one of my issues, right? Because I have high cholesterol. And somebody said, how did you get high cholesterol? Just go back and look at my history. You can see why. But that was one of the things. I, I love Cracker Jack, and, and I love the candy, and I love the peanuts. And, and every, time, every time I got a quarter, back then, Cracker Jack calls a quarter. You go, <laughs> so, so every time I got a quarter, I, was, I had a box of Cracker Jacks in my hand. I would go to the store, and before I hit that dough, half that box was gone. That's how, that's, that was my boy Cracker Jack. But then after I got older, Cracker Jacks wasn't doing it anymore. So then I escalated my addiction to Crunch and Munch. Amen. You talking about sugar with popcorn and pe- Crunch and Munch. That's why I, now I know why they call it Crunch and Munch. But, uh, but I tell you, and that's what I, I know this sounds, I know this sounds humorous, but guess what? It's an allegory. It's an allegory. What I'm talking to you about is how sin can become an addiction in the form of Cracker Jacks and Crunch and Munch. When Cracker Jacks ain't enough, you got to take it up a notch. Oh, amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't miss the story. Some of us are so steeped in our sins, boy. You, you can't even recognize the first time you sin because you, you. Cracker Jackson crunching much. When you're addicted to something and the, and the first thing isn't enough, you got to take it up a notch because you still want to get that same high. Oh, amen. Are y'all hearing this text? People stay in sin because the devil knows how to get you to take it up or not. Oh, this ain't pleasing you no more? Oh, this ain't getting it? Well, guess what? I got this over here. Right? Oh, wow, okay. And then that takes you for a little while, right? That, that, that feeds that flesh for a little while. And you say, oh, this ain't getting it no more. And they ever say, oh, that ain't getting it no more? Let me take you over here. The devil got plenty of things to keep your flesh wrapped up in sin. Guess what? He'll take it up. When you get tired of that, he'll take it up another notch. That's what sin is. It's an addiction. And it's an addiction to the things of the world. Now, if you can get that allegory, then you can get this one. Because what he sits here and says to us, he says, look, my little children, verse number 19, my little children of whom I travail in the birth again unto Christ, uh, uh, Christ be formed in you. Let me tell you something. You're not going to come out of sin until you get something that is more, power, more powerful than the sin that you are in. Are you, are, you, are you there now? Christ is the antidote to your sin issue. Right? Because Christ is more powerful than your sin. How do you know that, Brother Culpepper? Because the Bible teaches us he had every attempt. He, I mean, he was tempted in every way, like we have been tempted, yet he was without sin. The devil tempted him in every way. The world was presented to him in every way. And don't tell me about not taking it up a notch because the devil didn't start with him being on top of the pinnacle. 
The devil knows how to take it up. Are y'all with me this morning? The devil knows how to take it up a notch. He started with his physical need. Look what he does. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He's in the wilderness. And guess what? The world is our wilderness. And the devil going to take it up a notch. He's going to make you question your Christianity. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And Jesus comes back and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right? And the devil takes it up another notch. Right? It gets to the point where he says, look, won't you cast yourself down? Uh, 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 this is to prove to the devil that you're a child of God, right? Cast thyself down, and the angels we bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus come back and said, the word says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It ain't about whether or not he will bear me up. I ain't going to test him. I'm not going to test him. I'm not going to test him. And then, and, then, and then the devil takes it up another notch. The devil keeps, he has a lot of notches. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look at all the kingdoms of the devil. The devil will make you believe he can give you everything. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. He says, he says, look, all I want you to do, look, this is just a simple thing. It's just a simple thing. This ain't hard. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. That's all you have to do. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's kind of interesting given the fact that he's talking to Jesus. <laughs> right? Given the fact he's talking to Jesus. And we know Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Right? Hey, everything belongs to God. I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting that he would use that ploy. But nevertheless, maybe, maybe, maybe he wasn't saying it for the sake of Jesus. Maybe he was saying it for our sake. Lord have mercy. But Jesus says, uh, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thy serve. You see. But the devil kept ramping, he kept taking it up a notch. And I want to show you that because when I say these premises, I want to know that they're couched in biblical principles. The devil takes it up a notch. And 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 some of us, and some of us, look, and some of us are not like Jesus. Many of us are not like Jesus. If I dare say at one time, none of us were like Jesus. Because Romans 3 and 23 says all have sin. Jesus don't have no sin. So I can say at one time none of us was like Jesus. And those of us who have now taken on Christ and have him forming in our lives, we're still trying to be more like Jesus. But at one time none of us were like Jesus. Because we all sin. Romans 3, 23 and falling short of the glory of God. Romans 5 teaches us while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. John will record that we die, he died for the sins of the whole world. But until Christ is formed in us, we are still fighting with the devil. And the devil has things to give. And he'll try to take, he'll try to take you out of the world and, I mean, out of the, 
the, the, the, the, the church and he'll place you right back in the world. He'll say, you see, you, you got distracted. I know you got distracted, but now I'm going to give you this. And so you don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to worry about being like Christ. You can have this go right back into the world. Paul says, shall I struggle again? Shall I struggle in birth again to try to labor and to bring you back out of the world? At some point, Paul says, Christ has to form in your life. He's got to form in you. Obedience must form in you. Where, where, where the word of God, as blessed as we know that the word of God is, the word of God is not in a book that has a title on it, Holy Bible, but the word of God is in here. You see? You see? Jesus didn't go back when the devil approached him. Jesus didn't go back and say, well, let me check the parchments and I'll get back to you. No, Jesus had the word of God in him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus is the word of God. He is the manifestation of the word of God. But nevertheless, the, the word of God in us, though, the word of God in us, right? We're striving to have the word of God in us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, be, be, let the word of God dwell in you richly, be built up and overflowing with the word of God. Why? Because whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all by the authority of Christ Jesus. When you have the word of God in you and it's bubbling up over in you, it is able to, con it is able to strengthen that spirit where that spirit will be obedient and the flesh will have to obey the spirit's demands. Well, I wish I had. Paul goes on in verse number 19, uh, verse number 20. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Verse number 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written, here we are. For, verse number 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Wait a minute. <laughs> Now, now, Paul says, all that stuff y'all read about Isaac and Ishmael, let me tell you what that was really about. See, there's a bigger picture. Let me tell you what it was really about. Let me tell you what God was, was sharing with you back then. Abraham had two sons. The one by the bondwoman or bondmaid. And the other by a free woman, which is Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Lord have mercy. You mean to tell me that God was talking about the covenant of promise versus the covenant of the world? In Isaac and Ishmael, it's an allegory. God is talking about something much bigger. Because guess what? There's only two areas of life that you can exist in. Either you will exist in the bondage of the world, or you're going to exist in the liberty of Christ. Those are the only two choices that we have. 
But the world doesn't understand this. And, and so we think that, that, that we, could just, we could just live freely and, 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 and frolic in the wilderness with sin and thinking that God is still going to save you. That is not the case. You have to cast the world out. You've got to cast the world out. Now, God's going to deal with the world how he chooses to deal with the world, just like he chose to deal with Hagar as, and, and Ishmael as he chose to deal with Hagar and Ishmael. God's going to deal with the world as he will choose to deal with the world. But those who choose to be free, those who choose to be in the liberty of Christ, obey the gospel. Paul says in Romans 16 and 16, I mean Romans 1 and 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. The promise was about the flesh and the spirit. Hold your finger there. Hold your finger there. I'm, uh, you know what? Before I move here, because I'm going to close after this. And, and so I'll, I'll give you this, and then I'll, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8, and then I'm, gonna, I'm closing in Romans chapter 8. And he says, look. In verse 24, in Galatians 4, 24, he says, look, which things are an allegory. Which things are an allegory. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual words. Which things are an allegory. He's saying what you saw in Isaac, what you saw in Ishmael, what you saw in Hagar, what you saw in Sarah, what you saw in Abraham. It's a story. It's an allegory. But what God is talking about is the flesh and the spirit. Those things are promised. And those things of the world, which things are an allegory, for there are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which, gen- which, gen- which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar, Lord have mercy, for, ha- for this Hagar is Mount Sinai and Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage, which are children. But Jerusalem, which is, which, is ab- which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, I'm going to speak. To, I'm going to give you this and I'm going to leave it. I'm, not, I'm just going to give it to you. Remember, John said in Revelations that I saw the new Jerusalem coming down. From heaven. That's the church. It is the mother of us all. That's the church. That's the church of Christ. And we are the children of the church, which is the mother of us all. The church is our Sarah. All right, so. Romans chapter 8. I, I, I'm just drop that off. We'll come back to it later when we get time. Look, 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 look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I know y'all say, Brother Copa, I'll be glad when we get back to the evening sermon because you got too much energy in the morning. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. Romans 8, 1. Look, there is therefore now, and that's why it's important to end with this because when I get to Eli and his sons, you're going to see that Eli and his sons, the next generation, didn't keep Eli's faith the way that they should have kept it. They changed the faith to something totally different. As a matter of fact, what they did was they took it back out into the world. 
don't have time to deal with that right now, but, but I want to give you the preface. We, we'll be all right. We got, we got a lot of time. God bless us to live. In Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no, now, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, now here in Romans chapter 8, you're talking about in the first century. In the first century, there is now therefore no condemnation. Now, if, there's, if, if, if then was the now then, then the now then is now. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. If now was now then, then now is now now. Whoa, Lord have mercy. I, I, I just, it, the more I say it, it's just, it, 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 you can't get around it. You can't get around the fact, if you're going to be saved, you've got to be saved the same way that they were being saved back then. Because back then was that now, and now is now. <laughs> there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are where? In Christ Jesus. Well, wait a minute. Being in Christ Jesus, as Paul said to them in Galatians chapter 4, till Christ begin in you grows in you, becomes in you. You become part of that, that walk in Christ Jesus. And he says, there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemneth sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The allegory between Isaac and Ishmael, and Hagar and Sarah and Abraham, the story is so powerful because it talks about the issues of obedience. It talks about the issues of faith. It talks about the, the issues of, uh, of passing on the truth and the faith generationally and having having people understand that, 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 that God's bigger picture is beyond the temporal things of this life. It's about eternal life. Amen. It's about eternal life. And, and, and so when you look at, when we go back to Galatians, you'll, you'll, you'll hear us talk about how, how the Bible says uh, uh, when one is baptized into Christ, they have put on Christ. And when, you, when you're baptized into Christ and you put on Christ, you are now in Christ Jesus. And now there's no, therefore, uh, no condemnation to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. When you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are coming out of the world and you are now in Christ. You're in Isaac. And you've left Ishmael and Hagar behind. You are now children of the promise. Like Isaac, heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. The covenant of promise. The covenant of promise. This is, this is a powerful series, I believe, of sermons that can, that can truly encourage you to remain steadfast. And truly, I believe that at this time, these series of lessons are the most important thing that we need in the world. Because with this pandemic going on, people are losing their faith. And they're losing their souls. But see... The promise is still real. The promise is still real. 
And the promise that we're waiting on is the promise of eternal life. Romans 10 and 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. The Bible teaches us in Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. We have to prioritize our lives. It's not the world that we should be seeking after. We should be seeking the righteousness of God. The Bible says in Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 17 and 30, God commandeth every man everywhere to repent. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, one day with God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day, wishing none to perish, but that all should come unto repentance, because God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. God wants you to be saved. This is your time to come. His promise is before you. Be a partaker of it. Confess Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. Romans 10 and 9, with the mouth we confess Christ Jesus. Romans 10 and 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Going down in the watery grave of baptism, letting the blood of Christ, the blood of promise, cleanse you from all your past sin. You're going to rise and walk in the newness of life. In Ephesians 1 and 7, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. May God bless you. May God bless you to come right now. As we stand and sing the invitational song, why don't you come? Oh, I will answer when he calls for me. I will hear when the Savior calls. I will answer. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name is for my. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. And if my heart is right when he calls me, if my heart is right. I will hear if my heart is right when he calls me. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Yes, for my name. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Let the church say amen once again. Well, I learned some more stuff today. Thank you, Brother Culpepper, for a fine message this morning. I'm sure everyone else uh, gained from that sermon, too. Um, I have just a couple of cards uh, from our members, uh, one being Shirley Wiggins. She's desiring prayer, Sister Wiggins, and Sister Erica Chandler. Uh, she's desiring prayer also. Uh, those are the only two cards I have. Um, if you will, I'd like for you to uh, bow with me as we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It is into your presence we come. We bow our heads in grateful hearts. Thanking you, Father, for first loving us more than we love ourselves. And for what we, our ears have heard today, we're so thankful, Father, that you continue to watch over us 
But at this time, we're just asking a prayer for those who are desiring prayer, Father. And we're asking for, that you will just continue to be with our nurses and doctors who are working diligently to continue to fight this pandemic. We pray, Father, for all those who are struggling, those who are trying to make it, and especially those who are seeking. We pray, Father, that we may be a source of encouragement to guide them to Christ before everlasting too late. We pray, Father, that you would just continue to look over us, watch over us, and help us to continue to keep on keeping on until you call us home. May we ever uh, be doers of your word and not just hearers. Thank you, Father, again for your, for, your, for your son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. These prayers and all prayers we always ask in the name of your son, now Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Please turn to page 313 in your faith and praise books. Once again, that is page 313 in your faith and praise books. At this time, we'll start singing. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rocket cross till my troll. 